Welcome to Stories of Iceland. This year isn't going well. In the east of Iceland, the town of Seydisfjörður has been afflicted with horrible mudslides that have damaged many beautiful old houses. We have been lucky that people have come out unscathed. I mentioned Seydisfjörður in an episode earlier this year, because in 1885 the worst avalanche in Icelandic history hit and killed 24 people there. I also talked about the importance of Seydisfjörður in Icelandic history. It was a regional center of commerce for a long time. Now the old glory of the town is represented by the houses that have been badly damaged this December. Seydisfjörður was also a center of activity for the Allied forces in the Second World War. The only German air raid on Icelandic soil was in Seydisfjörður in 1942. Four boys were injured and one of them lost a leg. Two years later, German bombers sunk an Allied oil carrier in the fjord and pollution from the wreck is still a concern today, though most of it has been cleared out. Today, Seysfjörður is best known for being the endpoint for the ferry Norræna, which travels from Denmark, by the way of the Faroe Islands, to Iceland. I have to note that mudslides in the middle of winter is not something we are used to. Of course, we can never point to a single event and say it is caused by rising temperatures, but we do seem to have an unusual amount of unusual weather. So, we are quite focused on the east, but it is almost yuletide. Iceland is still in a downward trend in COVID-19 cases. It is not over, but it is looking better. But we still have limitations on gatherings. During the holidays, we are limited to 10 people in one place. So instead of going to my uncle to see family members on the 25th, we will be eating the traditional smoked sheep's leg at home. The limit on gatherings is set to change how people celebrate the Mass of St. Thorlokr on the 23rd of December. The tradition is to eat rotten fish. Until a few decades ago, this was only done in the western fjords, but now it has spread. Since the smell is as awful as you might guess, nobody wants their neighbors to cook this at home. So instead we have had large gatherings where dozens or even hundreds come together to eat this nasty food. Now the fear is that these rotten fish lovers will cook at home. It makes me feel grateful that all my neighbors are immigrants, and though their children were born here, they are unlikely to crave the rotten fish. The 23rd is a traditionally busy day. Everyone is working to get everything done. So when we had our older boy, we decided that we should just get some fast food to minimize the pressure. One year I mentioned the Japanese tradition of eating at KFC on Christmas, so we ate there. Our boys then decided that this was our tradition and that no other food was acceptable on that day.
This year we have to get takeout and eat at home. But the 24th of December will be the same. Just the four of us. At noon there is the almond porridge. You might think that the porridge is made from almonds. It is not. It is made from rice and milk, not even almond milk. On any other day it would be called milk or rice porridge since it is made from rice and milk. But on this day there is a single almond in it and whoever gets the almond gets the almond gift. This is in many ways only a symbolic winner since the almond gift is usually something that the whole family can enjoy together. For instance, it is often a board game. In the afternoon we start cooking. I boil the rack of lightly smoked lamb and then cook it in the oven. My wife fries and then boils the ptarmigan. I make the sugary potatoes and we have asparagus soup as an appetizer. We also take time to watch uh, Muppet Family Christmas, as I have done since it was first aired over 30 years ago. We eat at six. Sometime after dinner we start opening the presents. When the boys have started to have fun with their gifts, me and my wife read the Yuletide cards aloud. I think this is enough about my Yuletide tradition. I am likely repeating myself from earlier Yule episodes. This year has been difficult. A week before I recorded this episode, I accidentally cut my finger so badly I ended up going to the emergency room. At first I was told I might need stitches and that my fingernail had to be removed. But in the end, the wound was wrapped tightly and I was given some painkillers. I have also had difficulties professionally. Not many people want to record their podcasts in a studio while in a pandemic, instead buying their own microphones and recording in their closets. My other job has also been affected by the pandemic, that is, publishing game cards. This year the shipment didn't arrive until the middle of December which is very late when everyone is doing their shopping early and online. So I hope you understand that this is an especially good time to start supporting me on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. I'd like to thank all of my supporters, especially Troy Williams, Kristen Rose, Robin Williams and Catherine Matthews, friends of the podcast. Join them at patreon.com slash stories of Iceland. There is extra material there. But this is Stories of Iceland and this episode is longer than usual. I hope you don't mind. I do think the story deserves the extra time. This is episode 39, The Hauntings at Yuletide.
Iceland is in the North Atlantic. Its capital city is Reykjavik. This is a Yuletide ghost story. It has been called the Wonders at Froðá, though the word wonder might give the wrong impression. These wonders were not wonderful in the modern meaning. They caused alarm. Some writers have instead used the word weird, but that is even less clear to modern ears. The story of the wonders at Froðá is a part of a saga called Erbiga, the saga of the people of Eri. It is set in Snæfellsnes, that is the upper leg of the Icelandic sheep. The wonders at Froðá is one of the most famous parts of the sagas. It has inspired works of arts and is reinterpreted and re-envisioned to this day, mostly in Iceland, but also by the Scottish novelist Robert Louis Stevenson, famous for his Treasure Island and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He wrote a short story based on these events called The Waif Woman. This story has also been the subject of various attempts at rationalization, by which I mean trying to see a natural cause for supernatural events. While I am sometimes guilty of interpreting stories in this way, I do think that in this case it misses the point. The story starts in the year 999 and is best understood as a complementary narrative about the Christianization of Iceland. It even includes characters such as Snorri the Priest and Gissur the White, who are important to the main story. It is set in a time before there were bishops in Iceland, but it foreshadows the creation of a bishopry in the south at Skálholt. But the story of the wonders at Froðá makes it clear that even though Christianity was by law the religion of Iceland, the people had not converted in every way. They still held on to their older beliefs. The story is a way of showing us how the old ways were being separated out while the new ways took over. I think it also gives us an idea about how people viewed religion. When people converted to Christianity, they did not stop believing in the existence of the gods and creatures of the old religion. Rather, they might have viewed them as lesser entities than the Christian god or as demonic creatures within their new religion. Since this is a small part of a larger saga, I have made a few edits so it flows a little better. I have also omitted quite a few references to place names. Those names are of little importance to this story. For the larger geography of the world in which these people lived, I have not updated the names of the so-called South Islands. In the English-speaking world, those islands are now called the Hebrides and are located on the west coast of Scotland. For the Norse world, and I use Norse in the old sense, meaning the people who spoke the old Norse language, these islands were in the south, so they were the South Islands. After going over the story, I have a feeling that personal names will be confusing for listeners. Most of the main characters have names that starts with a reference to the god Thor. 
you can see these names and people as a generation born to paganism. Though not all of them are heathen, they have some connection to the old ways, while those whose names don't start with the prefix Thor are all Christian and belong to the future. Of the heathen names, there is Thorgunnur, Thorir, Thorotur, Thorgrima, and Thuridr. Don't let this confuse you. These characters are never referred to without either an epithet or a title. For the title of the heads of the household, I have chosen master and mistress, but I must note that the man of the house is, in Iceland, called Husbundi literally meaning house farmer, but when the word was incorporated into English, it became husband. There are a few concepts and words that I need to explain before I tell the story. The first is moon of wonder. In Icelandic, the word is urdarmoni, but the usual English phrase is ball lightning. The story mentions the Norse goddess Araun. Raun in Icelandic means theft, so we can think of her as the spirit of the sea that robs sailors and fishermen of their lives. But we can also think of those who drown as a tribute or sacrifice to her. The story mentions stockfish, that is the dried fish that was a staple of Icelandic cuisine for centuries. Then there is the concept Deradomr. It is difficult to explain since this is the only mention that I know of. The first part, dir, means doorway. The latter part, domur, is more complex. You can think of the word domur as in doomsday, that is, judgment. But it doesn't convey all the meaning because doom can be interpreted as a kind of a shrine. If you think of justice as a holy ritual, you might be close to understanding it. The Wonders at Froda. The same summer that Christianity was made law in Iceland, a ship came from over the sea to Snæfellsnes, a ship from Dublin, whose folk were Irish and South Islanders, and a few Norsemen. Many people of Snæfellsnes went to trade with them. Among the passengers was a South Island woman named Thorkunur, and of her the shipsmen told that she had with her goods the like of which would be hard to get in Iceland. But when Thuriadur, the mistress of Frodo, heard thereof, she became exceedingly wishful to see those fair things, for she was very fond of glitter and show. So she went to the ship and found Thorgunnur and asked her if she had any women's attire, something out of the common way. She said that she had no goods for sale, but let out that she had certain fair things that she might show without shame at feasts or other meetings of men. Thuriad prayed to see her fair things, and she granted it to her. And the wares seemed good to Thuriad, and exceedingly well shaped, but not beyond price. Thuriad offered to buy the goods, but Thorgunnur would not sell them. So Thuriad asked her to come dwell with her, for she knew that Thorgunnur was rich of raiment and thought she could convince her to sell them in time. Thorgunnur answered, 
I have a good will to go dwell with thee, but I give you to know that I will not pay for my board because I am exceedingly handy at work and willing enough, but no wet work will I do. Thorkunner was quite firm in this, but Thurir would that she should come nonetheless, and her goods were borne from the ship, a great locked chest and a lighter chest, and they were brought to the house at Froda. So when Thorgunnur came, where she prayed to have a bed, which was given to her in the inward part of the hall, there she unlocked her chest and drew out bedclothes all excellently wrought. She covered over the bed with English sheets and a silken quilt, and took from the chest bed curtains and other bed gear, and so good an array that was, that men deemed that of such goods they had never seen the like. Then said the mistress, Thuridr, put a price for me on thy bedgear. But Thorgunnur answered, No, I will not lie in straw for thee, courteous though you be, and grant of array. The mistress disliked this, and never after did she bid for the goods. Thorgunnur worked at the weaving day by day when no haymaking was, but when it was dry she worked at the saving of the hay in the home mead, and let make for herself a rake which she alone must handle. Thorgunnur was a woman great, thick and tall, and right full of flesh, dark-browed and narrow-eyed, and her hair dark-red. She had good manners, and she went every day to church before work. Yet not easy of temper was she, or of many words in her daily conversations. Most men deemed that Thorgunnur must have come into her sixth ten of years, yet she was the hailest of women. In those days was Thorir Woodenleck come to be harbored at Froda, and... Thorgrima, which face his wife with him, and things went somewhat ill between her and Thorgunnur. Kjartan, the master's son, was the one with whom Thorgunnur would have most dealings, and she loved him much, yet was he called to her, which angered her often. Kjartan was by then of thirteen or fourteen winters, and was both great of growth and noble to look at. The summer was rather wet, but autumn gave good drying weather, and the haymaking at Froda was by then come so far that most was mowed, and almost half thereof was fully dry. Then came a good drying day, calm and clear, so that no cloud was seen in the heavens. Master Thorodr got up early in the morning and set folk a work, and some fell to carrying the hay while others ricked it. Thorodr set the women to spread it, and the work was shared between them, including Thorgunnur. So the work went on well the day long, but in the afternoon a black cloud fleck came across the sky from the north and swiftly drew over the heavens, and then straight over the farm. Folk deemed that they saw rain in the cloud, and Thorodr bade men rake up the hay. But Thorgunnur brought hers into riches, nor would she rake it up, though she were so bidden. The cloud fleck came up swiftly, and when it stood over the homestead of Frodo, there followed 
therewith so great a darkness that men might not see out of the home field or even their hands before them. Then fell so great a rain from the cloud that all the hay that was spread was wetted, but the cloud drew off swiftly and the weather cleared. Then the men saw that it had rained blood in the shower. But that evening good drying weather set in again, and the blood dried off all the hay. But that which Thorgunner had spread, that dried not, or the rake either which he had handled. Master Thorder asked Thorgunner what she thought that wonder might forebode. She said that she knew not. But that seems to me most like, says she, that it will be the wonder of some one of those that are here. Thorgunnur went home in the evening and into her berth, and put off her bloodied clothes, and then lay down in her bed, and sighed heavily, and men deemed that she had fallen sick. That shower had come nowhere else but to Frodo. Thorgunnur did not eat that evening, but in the morning Master Thorod came to her and asked her what end she looked to having of her ailing. She said that she was minded to think that she would not fall sick again, and then she said, I deem thee the wisest man of the homestead, therefore I will tell you all my will as to what I would have made of the goods I leave behind me and of myself. For things will go, says she, even as I say, though ye think there is little to be noted in me, and I deem it will avail but little to turn away from my behests, for things have begun in such ways that to no narrow ends deem I they will come, if strong stays not be raised there against. Thorodr answered and said, Methink there is no little likelihood that thou wilt have deemed a right about this, yet I will promise thee, says he, to turn not from thy behests. Then said Thorgunnur, this would I have done. I would be born to Skalholt if I die of this sickness, because my mind tells me that the stead will be for one while the most worshipped stead in the land. And I know also, says she, that there will be priests to do the singing over me. So I pray thee to bring me there, and of my good shalt thou have so much as thou wilt. Have no loss thereby. But from my undivided goods shall Thurir have the scarlet cloak that I own, and this I do to the end that she may be content that I see to my other goods in such ways that I will. But I will that thou take for the cost thou hast for me that which thou wilt, or that pleases her, from such things alone as I leave there too. A gold ring I have which shall go to the church with me, but I will have that my bed and my bed hangings be burned up with fire, for they will be of no good to any man, and I say this not because I grudge anyone to enjoy those good things, if I knew that they would be of good avail to any, but now I say so much thereover, says she, because I deemed it ill that folks should have so much heavy trouble from me, as will be if you turn away from which now I ordain. Thorodr promised to do after her bidding, and so the sickness grew on her after that, and Thorgunnur lay not there many days before she died. 
The corpse was first born into the church there, and Thorodur let make a chest for the corpse, and the next day he had the bedgear borne out into the air and brought firewood together, and let pile up a bonfire there beside. Then Mistress Thurier went to him and asked what he was minded to do with the bedgear. He said that he would burn it up with fire, even as Thorgunner had charged. She answered, It deserves me that such precious things should be burned. Thorodur said, She asked thereon, and how would not do to turn aside from what she had laid down? Thurier said, such words were of only her envious minds. She grudged that any should enjoy these things, therefore did she lay such charms on thee. But no ill will come of it, in whatsoever way such things are departed from. I know not, said he, that things will go well, unless we do as he has bidden. Then Thurir put her arms round his neck and prayed him not burn the bedgear and pressed him so eagerly that he changed his mind. And she brought matters about in such ways that Thorodr burned the bolster and the mattress, but she took to her the quilts and sheets and all the hangings. This pleased neither of them. Thereafter was the burial journey got ready, and trusty men got to go with the corpse and good horses that Thorotor owned. The body was swathed in linen, but not sewn up, and then laid in the chest. So then they went south over the heath as the road lies. At last they came to a farm, and there asked for guesting, but the farmer would not give them any food, so whereas the night was at hand, they deemed they might go no further, for it was not easy to deal with the Whitewatch River by night. So they unloaded their horses and bore the corpse into a house over against the outer door, and then they went into the hall and did off their clothes and deemed they would abide there unfed that night. But the home men went to bed by daylight. When they were abed, they heard a great clatter in the food storage, so they went to see what was going on, if perchance thieves had not broken in there, and when they came to the food storage, there was to behold a tall, naked woman with nothing on her, busying herself with preparing food. So when they saw her, they were so afraid they did not dare come closer. But when the corpse-bearer knew thereof, they went there and saw what was toward, that there had Thorgunner come, and it would not be good to meddle with her. So when she had wrought such things there as she would, she bore meat into the hall, and laid the table, and set out meat upon it. Then spoke the corpse-bearers to the farmer. Maybe things will end so, or ever we part, that thou wilt deem that thou hast paid dear enough for not giving us any food. Then said the master and mistress, We will surely give you meat, and do for you all other things that you may need. And forthwith, when the master had bidden them to eat, Thorkun went out of the hall, and was not seen again. And after that light was brought into the hall, and the wet clothes pulled off from the guests, and dry clothes got them in their stead. And they went to the table and crossed their meat, while the master had all the house sprinkled with holy water. 
So the guests ate the meat, and none had harm therefrom, even though Thorgunnur had set it out. There they slept through the night, and were in a most hospitable place. But in the morning they got them ready for the journey, and right well it sped with them. But wheresoever these occurrences were known, that it seemed best to most people to give them all they stood in need of. So after this nothing befell them to tell of in the journey. And when they came to Skalholt, the good things were yielded up which Thorgunnur had given. And the priest took them, corpse and all, gladly, and there was Thorgunnur laid in earth. But the corpse-bearers fared home, and all went well with the journey, and they all came home in good cause. At Frodo was there a great fire-hall, and lock-beds in therefrom, as the want was then. Out from the hall there were two food-storages, one on either hand, with stockfish stored in one, and meal in the other. There were meal-fires made every evening in the fire-hall, as want was, and men mostly sat thereby, or ever they went to eat. Now, that same night that the corpse-bearer came home, as men sat by the meal-fires at Frodo, they saw how, by the panelling of the house-wall, was come a half-moon, and all might see it who were in the house. And it went backwards and withershins round about the house, nor did it vanish away while people sat by the fires. So Thorodur asked Thorir Woodenleck what that might abode. Thorir said that it was the moon of wonder, and the death of men will follow thereafter, says he. So a whole week this thing endured, that the moon of wonder came in there evening after evening. This happened next to Telof at Frodo, that the shepherd came in exceedingly hus, little he said, and what he said was peevish, so men deemed it most likely that he was bewitched, for he was distraught, and was ever talking to himself, and so things went on a while. But when two weeks of winter were worn, the shepherd came home on a night, and went straight to his bed and lay down, and in the morning, when men came to him, he was dead. So he was buried at the church there. A little after that great hauntings befell, and on a night, as Thorir Woodenleck went out for his needs, and turned off aside from the door, when he would go in again, he saw how the shepherd was come before the door. Then would he go in again, but the shepherd would not have it so, and Thorir was eager to get away. But the shepherd went at him and got hold of him and cast him homeward up against the door. At this he was frightened exceedingly, yet he got him to his bed, and he was by then grown cold blue all over. Now from this he fell sick and died, and was buried there at the church. But even after were the twain, the shepherd and Thorir wooden leck, seen in company, and therefrom were folk full of dread, as was like to be. After Thorir's death, a housecart of Thorir fell sick, and lay there three nights before he died. Then one after another died, till six were dead, and by then it was hard on Yule fast, though at the time there was no fasting in Iceland. 
Now the pile of stockfish was so heaped up in the food storage that it filled it up, so that the door might not be opened. It went right up to the beams, and the ladder was needed to get the stockfish from the top. So one evening, when the men sat at the meal fires, they heard how the stockfish was being riven out of its skin, but when men looked there too, they found nothing there. But in the winter, a little before Yule, Master Thorodor went out to Ness after his stockfish. They were six together in a ten-oarer, and were out there night long. The same evening that Thorodor went from home, it fell out at Frodal, when the meal fires were lighted and men came gathering into the hall, that they saw how a seal's head had come up through the floor of the fire hall. A certain woman came forth first, saw what was happening, and got a club that lay in the doorway and drove it at the seal's head, but it rose under the blow and glared at Thorgunner's bed gear. Then went a housecarl there too, and beat on the seal, but at every blow it kept rising till it was up as far as below the flappers. Then fell the housecarl swooning, and all that were thereby were fulfilled of mighty dread. Then the swain Kartan ran there too, and took up a great sledgehammer, and smoked on the seal's head, and great was that blow, but the seal only shook its head, and looked around about, but Kjartan smote one blow till the seal sank down therewith, as if he were at the knocking down a peck, but he smote on till the seal went down so far that he might beat down the floor over the head of him. So indeed it fell out the winter through that all the portents dreaded Kjartan the most of all. The morning that Master Thorotter and his men went out from Snifelsness, they were all lost. The ship and the fish drove ashore, but the corpses were not found. But when this news was known at Frodal, Kjartan Thurir bade their neighbors to the wake, and their yule ale was taken and used. But the first evening, as the men were at the feast, and were come to their seats, in came Thorodr and his fellows into the hall, all of them dripping wet. Men gave good welcome to Master Thorodr, for a good portent was it deemed, since folk held it forsooth that those men should have good cheer of the goddess round, if they, who had been drowned at sea, came to their own burial. For in those days little of the olden lore was cast aside, though men were baptized and were Christian by name. Now Master Thorodr and his company went down the and long sitting hall, which was double-doored, and went into the fire hall, and took no man's greeting, and set them down by the fire. Then the home men fled away from the fire hall, but Thorodr and his folk sat behind there till the fires burned out, at which time they left. Thus it befell every evening, while the wake lasted, that they came to the fire. Much talk was at the wake, and some guessed that it would leave off when the feast was over. The guests went home after the feast, and somewhat dreary was that household left. Now the evening that the guests went away were the meal fires made as usual. But when they were lit up, in came Thorodr and his company, all dripping wet, and they sat down by the fire 
and fell to wring their raiments. So when they were sat down, in came Thorir Woodenleg and his six followers, and they were all muddy, and they shook their raiments and cast the mud at Thorodr and his folk. Then the home men fled away from the fire hall as might be looked for, and had neither light nor warm stones nor any matter wherewith they had any avail of the fire. But the evening next after were fires made in another chamber, and it was deemed that they would be less likely to come thither, but it fell not out so. And all went in the same way as the night before, and both companies came to the fires. The third evening Kjartan gave counsel to make a long fire in the fire hall, and meal fires in another chamber. So it was done, and this availed thus much that Thorodr and his folk sat by the long fire, and the home men by the little fire. And so things went all over Yuletide. Now it befell that more things were going on in the stockfish heap, and night and day men might hear how the stockfish was torn. And after this time came when the need was most of stockfish. And men went to search the heap, and the man who went up there on saw this to tell of it, that up from the heap came a great tail, as big as a bull's tail, and it was short-haired and seal-haired. He who went up on the heap caught at the tail and tugged, and called on other men to come help him. So folk went up on the heap, both men and women, and tugged at the tail, and got nothing done. And they thought none otherwise that tail was dead. But lo, as they pulled, the tail drew down through their hands, so the skin came off the palms of those who held the firmest hold thereon. And nothing was known afterwards of that tail. Then was the stockfist heap taken down, and every fish therein was found torn from the skin, so that there was no fish found in his skin in the lower part of the heap but nothing living was found therein. After these events, Thorgrima Witchface, the wife of Thorir Woodenleck, fell sick and lay a little while before she died, and the very same evening that she was buried, she was seen in the company of Thorir, her husband. Then the sickness fell on folk canoe after the tale was seen, and more women than men died, but some fled before those hauntings and ghosts. At harvest tide there had been thirty serving folk there, but eighteen were dead and five had fled away, but now seven were left. Now, when those wonders had gone so far, one day Kjartan went east on to Helgavell to see Snorri the priest, his mother's brother, and asked advice of him what he should do in the matter of those wonders that had fallen on them. At the time had come to Helgavell a priest sent by Gissur the White, so Snorri sent the priest out to Froda with Kjartan, as well as his son and six men more. There too he added the council to burn Thorgunder's bedgear, and summon all those who walked to adore doom, and he bade the priest sing the hours there, and hollow water and invite all to confession. So these summoned men from the nearest steps on the road came to Froda on the eve of Candlemas, at such time as the meal-fires were lighted. By then, Mistress Thurier had fallen sick in the same way as those who had died. 
Now Kjartan went in straight away, and saw how Thorder and his folks sat by the fire, as was their wont. So he took down Thorgunner's bedgear, and went into the fire hall, and caught up brands from the fire, and went out there with, and then all the bed array was burned that Thorgunner had owned. Thereafter Kjartan summoned Thorir Woodenleg, and another summoned Master Thorodr, in that they went about that household without leave, and despoiled men both of life and luck, all were summoned who sat by the fire. Then a doordom named, and these cases put forward, and it was done in all matters, even as a doom of the thing. A jury was called, verdicts were delivered, cases summed up, and judgment given. But as soon as the sentence on Thorir wooden leg was given out, he rose and said, Sat while I might, and thereafter he went out the door before which the court was not set. Then was the sentence on the shepherd passed, but when he heard it he stood up and said, Go now henceforth as more seemly is. And when Thorgrima Witchface heard the doom on her, and it, she also arose and said, Stayed while I might. Then they charged one after the other, and each arose as sentinels fell upon him, and all said somewhat at their going forth, but ever it seemed by the words of each that they were all loth to depart. At last judgment was given on Master Thorodr, and when he heard it he stood up and said, Me seems little pieces here, so get us all gone elsewhere. And therewith he went out. Then in walked Kjartan and his folk, and the priest bore hallowed water and holy things throughout the house. And on the next day they sang all the hours and mass with great solemnity, so there was an end thereafter to all the walkings and hauntings at Frodo, but Thyrir got better of her sickness, so she was healed. In the springs after these wonders, Kjartan took to him serving folk and dwelt long after at Frodo, and was the greatest of champions. The moral of this story is that even though this December will be quite difficult for many of us, at least you won't have to deal with dead people flinging mud around your dining room. That is it for today. Thanks to Vida von Hellstare, Emily Cooper, Julie Fisher, Emily Harper, Evan Williams, Jon Helgeson, Crystal Bath, Austin Yule, and all my other supporters. And, as always, special thanks to Robin Williams, Catherine Matthews, Troy Williams, and Kristen Rose, friends of the podcast. Have a merry Yuletide. I am Olga Nestis Olerson, and this has been Stories of Iceland, episode 39, The Hauntings at Yuletide. Mm-hmm.